Hi, this is Steve Nerlich from Cheap Astronomy. CheapAstro.com And this is Cheap Astronomy, live in Hawaii. Now, if you're going to fly from Australia to Hawaii, that is, the state, you pretty much have to land in Honolulu, which is on the island of Oahu. So, a little jet-lagged, we landed, drank a Bookham Deno cocktail, watched the sunset, failed to see the green flash, then we shopped and we slept. Next day, we flew to Hawaii, that is, the island, or as it's better known, the Big Island. And it was a good flight, with Mai Tai cocktails, and off to the left we could see Mount Haleakala on the island of Maui, which has its own astronomy outpost on the summit. Anyway, the flight took us to Kona on the big island, where we once again failed to see the green flash at sunset over Pina Coladas. Then we slept and we awoke to the 6th of June 2012. We looked nervously at the weather since this was the day of the 2012 transit of Venus. It all looked good, just the usual early morning vog, which is what the Hawaiians call a light haze resulting from volcanic outgassing. Not fog, but vog. So, all being well, we went off to admire the Galaxy Garden a curious entity designed by Planetary Society member and artist John Lomberg. The Galaxy Garden is essentially a shrubbery about 15 metres in diameter, which forms a scaled model of the Milky Way. It has hedges representing the spiral arms, with lots of different shaped shrubs, to represent nebulae and globular clusters, and some of the plants have speckled leaves to represent stars, and you have to hunt around to find one particular leaf on one particular hedge, representing the Orion Spur, where you find a little sign that indicates the rough position of the solar system. But while we educationally passed the time until first ingress of the Venus transit, due at 12.09, oh bollocks, the clouds had come in. In fact, we totally missed first and second contact, and as for the much-vaunted live feed from Mauna Kea, we were already piling into the van, as our host was still pleading with their tech support that their wireless router had five bars showing. Anyhow, we went and saw some sights around the island as a hidden Venus began its slow six-hour track across the face of the sun. And after a couple of stops, I did start getting glimpses through the clouds of that tiny dot. And then as we came out of some historical church, holy hullyakala, the sun was clear. Our group grabbed eclipse glasses and grade 14 welder's glass, and yours truly even projected an image through my cheap but trusty binoculars onto a wall. There it was, folks, the bleeping transit of bleeping Venus 2012. So we all hopped back into the van, 
went back to the Galaxy Garden and thoroughly geeked out with solar-filtered binoculars and a 10-inch Dobsonian, nothing too expensive, you understand, until it was all over. Woohoo! After all that, we calmed our nerves over a blue lagoon or two, then it was straight to bed, and then on to the next big day, Mauna Kea. The Mauna Kea observatories are promoted as the world's best optical astronomy site, and this is probably true, with the Atacama Desert observatories being a very close and very competitive second placeholder. From Mauna Kea's summit, you really experience the feeling of being above the clouds, and indeed the atmosphere there is perceptively thinner. And we were lucky enough to get a guided tour of the optical-slash-infrared Japanese Subaru Telescope. The Subaru Telescope is an 8.2-metre Cassegrain, but with a substantial options package. For example, you can position a camera at its primary focus, that is, the focal point of the main mirror, or you can keep the secondary mirror there and place a tertiary mirror to deflect the light beam off to the side, which is apparently called a Nazmith focus. The inside of the building enclosing the Subaru telescope was a darn sight colder than the outside, even though the outside was the summit of a 4,200 metre extinct volcano. This is because they have to keep the telescope environment near zero degrees Celsius, otherwise the infrared detector will pick up too much background noise from both the telescope infrastructure and the surrounding building. Indeed, the detector itself is kept at a chilly 37 Kelvin using a vacuum pump heat exchange thingy that goes like this. Cool, huh? After that, we had a look at the twin 10.2-metre Keck telescopes, although these were closed to visitors. In fact, all the Monaco telescopes generally have minimal personnel on site, with most of the operational work being done remotely from surrounding towns like Waimea and Hilo. The Keck telescope people did also give us a nice presentation, but inside a cosy lecture theatre in Waimea, much closer to sea level. People are still saying the twin Kecks have the biggest mirrors of any optical telescope, although the Great Telescope in the Canary Islands has a 10.4 metre mirror, there's just some debate about whether it's fully operational. As you may know, the Kecks have segmented mirrors composed of interlocking hexagonal segments, since a single 10 metre mirror would warp under its own weight using current technologies. Anyway, after a big geek out on Mauna Kea, we began the drive back to sea level. But first we stopped at the Visitors Centre, which is at about 3,000 metres, where you have to stop on the way up to acclimatise, and when you come back down, you can just hang around here until it gets dark, and then do some awesome dark sky viewing. So I did the usual thing of finding the Big Dipper, 
and then following the pointer stars along to Polaris. Then the helpful volunteers at the visitor's centre ran me through the following mnemonic. If you start from Polaris and trace a line back to the Big Dipper, then you can follow the curve of the Dipper's handle and arc over to Arcturus. And from there, you can spike down to Spiker, where down is a roughly southerly direction, and you can just keep following that line all the way down to the southern horizon, where you can find the Southern Cross just peeking over the top. Of course, this configuration only works in the spring. But it is kind of nifty that being less than 20 degrees north of the equator, you can see both Polaris, the northern celestial pole, and the Southern Cross, which is at least pointing the way to the southern celestial pole. In fact, the arc over to Arcturus story gives an insight into Polynesian astronomy, which these people used to navigate their way between the eight islands of Hawaii and indeed across the wider Pacific. The line created by arcing to Arcturus, down to Spica and then to the Southern Cross offers quite a reliable direction finder and the residents of the Big Island would know they were near home when Arcturus known locally as Hokulea, was directly overhead at the zenith of the sky. And after all that, we reflected on this great day over some Saddle Road sunsets, then we slept and got up and went and saw the active volcano Kilauea, which, if it's not about astronomy, is at least about planetology. And now I can tick that little box that says have seen the red glow of the inner Earth. Mahalo for listening. This is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com. Cheap Astronomy offers an educational website in the spirit of Aloha, where I just give you something and you are not obliged to give me anything in return. No ads, no profit, just good science. Bye. Oh, knights of me, you are just and fair, and we will return with a strawberry. One that looks nice. Of course. And not too expensive. Yes.